Chapter Thirteen of the Mystery of the Hidden Room. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Mystery of the Hidden Room by Marion Harvey. Chapter Thirteen, The Suicide. I had anticipated trouble when I gave Mister Trenton the inspector's message, but shock seemed to have rendered his sensibilities numb for the time being and he made no demur about receiving the emissary from headquarters. It was just two-thirty, the hour set for Philip Darwin's funeral, when the inspector called me, and while I awaited the arrival of Detective Jones, my thoughts reverted to the funeral. I pictured to myself the solitary coffin being lowered into its grave, unmourned and unattended, by any save the faithful mason, for I do not count the idle and the curious who merely come to gape and stare and be amused. He had been rich and popular, with a host of friends, yet I was willing to wager that not one had taken the trouble to escort the body to its final resting place, and though I had never had any use for the man while living, Still, my heart was strangely stirred by the spectacle of desolation which I had evoked. Death is, after all, dread enough without the added knowledge that no single human being will shed a tear at our passage from this earth. Even his own flesh and blood had turned from him, and for a minute I was sorry I had not attended. If I have one regret in all this terrible business, it is that one omission to accompany the dead on its journey to the grave. "'Mr. Davies, how do you do, sir?' said Jones, entering and breaking in abruptly on my thought, for I had not heard his ring. "'And this gentleman is Mr. Trenton, I take it?' "'Yes, Mr. Jones. I have told him the sad news. You, you wish him to identify the body?' I asked returning to earth with a decided jolt, mental if not physical. "'Unfortunately,' answered Jones, with a commiserating look at Mr. Trenton, who sat staring vacantly into space, "'the body has not yet been recovered. I really don't need it, but thought I might as well have an identification of his belongings.' He placed the package he had brought with him upon the table and opened it, exposing to view a gray suit of good material, a rather shabby cap, a watch, and a pocket notebook. "'These articles,' he said, speaking rather loudly to attract Mr. Trenton's attention, "'were found in a lodging-house on Water Street. Yesterday, about noon, a dark young man, not any too well-dressed, and looking disheveled and unkempt, applied for lodgings, and was taken in by the landlady, Mrs. Blake, herself. He spent the afternoon and early evening wandering about among the wharves, and spoke to several loungers to whom he made no secret of where he was staying. This morning, before it was light, this strange lodger arose and went out. Mrs. Blake saw him go, but thought he was going to work. Fifteen minutes later someone banged on her door to tell her that her lodger had thrown himself into the river and had drowned. 
she was frightened and called the police on the wharf was found the cap he had worn and in his room those other articles in a suitcase the detective paused in his narrative to pick up the watch the clothes are new and give no clue except that they evidently belong to a gentleman this watch is more helpful do you recognize it mr trenton mr trenton still somewhat dazed by the rapid sequence of the other's story received the watch with tender reverence looked at it nodded and passed it to me how well i remembered that gold timepiece of biscuit thinness with its plain r t engraved upon the back which mr trenton had given dick on his twenty-first birthday and in further proof if such were needed the inside of the case held a round kodak picture of ruth and dick taken on the same day no there could be no mistake as to the identity of mrs blake's lodger the watch is really superfluous evidence continued jones in that notebook we found your name mr trenton written along with his on the sheet reserved for identification he opened the book and showed us the page which had a place for name, address, parentage, age, height, etc. Dick had filled in only his own name and his father's. "'You identify the handwriting?' asked Jones. "'Yes, it's my son's,' returned Mr. Trenton in that same monotonous tone in which he had first spoken of Dick's death. Knowing that these articles belonged to Mr. Richard Trenton, and knowing also that he was Mrs. Darwin's brother, we had these things brought to headquarters for investigation, because we thought there might be some connection between this suicide and the murder of Philip Darwin. "'I don't believe that Dick had anything to do with the murder,' I said slowly. "'Surely you are not of the opinion that he killed Darwin?' well hardly since he wasn't in the study when the crime was committed what i meant was that he might have been the instigator and she the tool as it were i stiffened what do you mean i asked coldly this joan spoke sharply i have been delving into richard trenton's past history one of the things i learned from a former servant was the fact that six months ago Richard Trenton came home hurriedly one night in company with Philip Darwin, and that after a consultation with Mr. Trenton, the boy was packed out west. The next thing, according to the same servant, Philip Darwin came to the house and was closeted with Mr. Trenton and his daughter for several hours. When Darwin finally left, Mr. Trenton looked ten years older, and Miss Trenton was in tears. Two weeks later, to the servant's astonishment, she married not you, but Philip Darwin. He looked at me shrewdly, and I nodded in confirmation of his story. Having satisfied myself that there was decided connection between the flight of the brother and the marriage of the sister, I proceeded to trace Richard Trenton's movements on the night of the murder. He came to New York on the 7th of October 
and arrived at Grand Central at 10.10 p.m. From there, he took a taxi to the Corinth Hotel. He registered, went to his room, and in a few minutes came down again and went out on foot. He returned to the hotel about one o'clock. According to the night clerk, he looked haggard and weary. The next morning he paid his bill and again left on foot. Today, the 10th, he commits suicide. Mrs. Darwin declares she has not seen her brother since he left for Chicago, but admits corresponding with him and refuses to say about what. Now, the question is, what was he doing between the time he left the hotel and one o'clock on the night of the murder? Where did he go between the morning of the 8th and the afternoon of the 9th? Did he instigate the murder and then, in remorse, commit suicide? No, I don't believe it, I said stoutly. You have learned so much that I think the best course which I can follow is complete frankness. However, there is no need to rake dead ashes. So I will merely say that Dick was forced to leave New York, and that Philip Darwin had the boy in his power because he knew the reason for Dick's flight, and basely Darwin used his knowledge to force Mrs. Darwin to marry him to save her brother from exposure. I see, and of course it strengthens my point. Driven to desperation, young Trenton may have returned with intentions to kill Darwin, put in Jones. Yes, I interjected eagerly, and very probably he went so far as the Darwin home that night. Then he may have thought better of it and tramped about as one will when fighting a mental battle. In the morning he left with intentions of returning to Chicago. Then he read of the murder in the papers and decided to lie low and see what happened. When he learned that his sister was arrested, he probably considered himself the primal cause of all the trouble and in a fit of despondency drowned himself. I was quite proud of the theory I had evolved and doubtless it was the right one. Jones waited in his mind and then he said, you're right, Mr. Davies. That's probably just what did take place. Besides, if he had instigated the murder, since he was putting himself beyond the power of the law, he would have left behind a written confession to that effect, I added. Yes, that's so. Well, I guess we can say that he had nothing to do with it after all probably thought he was morally responsible, in pace requiescat. Amen to that, I answered, so surprised to hear him quote Latin that for a space I could find nothing to say. There is no hope of finding the body, I asked when I had recovered my mental balance. I'm afraid not. It has probably been carried out to sea. "'You are certain that he drowned himself?' I persisted, for I recalled that Dick could swim. "'Yes, he was seen and recognized by the men to whom he had spoken the previous evening. They saw him throw himself into the river. 
Before they could reach him, he had gone down beyond recall. "'I should like to interview Mrs. Blake and the others,' I said, not with any hope of discovering a flaw in the evidence, but because I could not endure to witness the poor father's silent grief. "'Certainly, Mr. Davies. I have my car outside. I will take you there myself,' answered Jones affably. As the detective began to wrap Dick's belongings, Mr. Trenton, who I am confident had heard no word of our conversation, suddenly realized that our conference was over, and leaning forward, took the watch from the table. "'May I keep it?' he begged. "'Yes, we have sufficient evidence in case we should need it,' answered the detective. "'I'll be with you in a moment,' I said for I wished to give Jenkins directions to keep an eye on Ruth's father. When I returned, Jones had his package under his arm, and though he said good-bye, Mr. Trenton did not respond. "'Poor old chap,' he whispered. "'It must have been an awful blow to him.' "'Worse than anyone can imagine,' I returned, thinking of the confession he had made." So we went out, leaving him there alone with the thoughts of his dead. We drove in silence to Water Street and pulled up before a shabby old house. Decidedly, Mrs. Blake's was not the type of home I should have picked out to live in, but when one has no intention of using one's lodging, the more obscure the better, I imagine. And it certainly was obscure and dingy and ill-smelling. I was shown the room in which Dick had slept and where he had left his clothes, and it struck me that if he hired that room to remain unknown, he had been very negligent in leaving his belongings around. Then I decided he chose that locality because it was near the river, and the river was the most convenient end he could think of. Poor Dick! I talked with the men who had witnessed the suicide. I was even shown the place where the event occurred, and the point where the body submerged. It was all very gruesome, and alas, all too true. The only thing that puzzled me was why the lad had done it. It was one thing to convince Jones, but quite another to satisfy myself that my reasoning was correct. Dick was not despondent by nature and though he might hold himself responsible for Ruth's marriage, surely he would have the sense to see that committing suicide would only add to her sorrow without in the least aiding to free her. I gave it up unless he really killed Darwin and feared to face the consequences, but that would make him out a despicable creature indeed, and I resolutely closed my mind to such a suggestion. When I reached home, Mr. Trenton put into words the thought I had refused to harbor. "'Carlton,' he said, with the calm of desperation, "'I have been thinking things over, and I believe you are right. We will go to Ruth and tell her that it is useless for her to shield Dick any longer.'" End of chapter 13